0: Big chapter as we head into our final three weeks in Mark, Mark chapter 14, 72 verses. So, yeah, read it this week, comment. Right? Yeah, I forget. I don't know. I didn't do the division of how many how many seconds per verse I get, but so let's do this. After two days, it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take Jesus by trickery put him to death but they said not during the feast lest there be an uproar of the people and being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper as he sat at the table a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard and she broke the flask and poured it on his head but there were some who were indignant among themselves and said why was this fragrant oil wasted for it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor they criticized her sharply but Jesus said let her alone why do you trouble her She has done a good work for me, but you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as memorial to her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad, and they promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Now, on the first day of the unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? And he sent out two uh, of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. So his disciples went out and came into the city and found it just as he had said to them. And they prepared the Passover. In the evening he came with the twelve. Now as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and say to him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? He answered and said to them, It is one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goes, just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Surely I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of a vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Jesus said to him, Assuredly I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently, If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. And he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Then he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude, with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and scribes uh, and the elders. Now his betrayer had given them a signal, saying, Whoever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he had come, he immediately he went up to Jesus and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Then they laid their hands on Jesus and took him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus answered and said to him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then they all forsook him and fled. Now a certain young man followed him, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body. And the young men laid hold of him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. And, uh, and they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. But Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he sat with the servants, warmed himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But not even then did their testimony agree. When the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent and answered to him, Nothing. Again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and the coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him, deserving of death. And then some began to spit on him and to blindfold him and to beat him and to say to him, Prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. Now, as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are saying. And he went out on the porch, and a rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him again again, and began to say to those who stood by, Yeah, this is one of them. But he denied it again. And a little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. Your speech shows it. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. A second time the rooster crowed. Uh, Then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him. Before the rooster crows twice, he will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. So obviously there's a lot going on in this chapter. uh, But our purposes in these studies have been to look through this gospel and to see what God has called us to as his people and how he has also empowered us to participate in the work that he's set before us. So we've spent a lot of time, understandably, focusing on the disciples because, after all, we are disciples. Uh, We're called by God to follow after him, and he's set a work for us to do, and he's filled us with his power. And as we've put ourselves in their place chapter by chapter, we've seen how we are to navigate through this life so that we don't miss the mark that God has given us. Now, overall, uh, with that mind frame, this text is the story of the disciples stumbling in their discipleship. By verse 72, none of them were standing with Jesus. And so it's a pretty dramatic chapter when it comes to discipleship and, um, you know, their their part in the story. Uh, Even Jesus said in verse 27, he said, All of you are going to be made to stumble this night because of me. Now, this not only fulfilled Bible prophecy, which, you know, Jesus says outright, but we also understand that these situations are examples to us for today. They're warnings so that we can avoid what these men didn't avoid. Uh, because we don't want to stumble. And that word stumble just means to fall or to sin or to trip or to fail in our discipleship. And the New Testament reaches out to us now in the, in the church age, in the age of grace. And, and, and it reaches out to us to help us to not stumble in our walk with the Lord, to not fall down. Now James in his letter points out... And he says that, hey, we all stumble in many things. You know, we're not perfect. I mean, we have shortcomings and we are, you know, on one side of eternity and the Lord is doing a work of sanctification. So we're not sinless. We don't, you know, we all stumble in many things. How, you know, because we're imperfect. But in 2 Peter, we read this concerning our discipleship. 2 Peter five, uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 5. Peter says, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self control, to self control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his own old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. Uh, it's a great message from Peter, kind of the poster child for stumbling in his discipleship. So we understand that stumbling and falling down in our discipleship is, is, nothing, uh, is not something that we have to do anymore. You know, so these guys, there's an aspect of this. I mean, they didn't have the indwelling Holy Spirit. This was the crucifixion of Jesus. They were fulfilling prophecy which said that, you know, um, the sheep were all going to scatter. You know, obviously we're not in the garden of Gethsemane as Jesus is being betrayed. Um, but we don't have to stumble anymore. In fact, the Lord is working hard to keep us from stumbling today. Our shepherd was struck once. He was struck one time. He was taken, betrayed in the garden, crucified Uh, and he finished that work. He will never be struck again. We stand with him in victory. And so uh, we can be confident in that. And so God's word shows us how to avoid these pitfalls that we see. And in our text, there are at least six different ways that the disciples stumbled. The passage in second Peter, we just read aloud kind of details, um, spiritual pursuits that so that we don't stumble talking about diligence and self-control and perseverance and godliness and you know, those kind of spiritual fruits that we um, focus on. Um, so, if Second Peter talks about spiritual pursuits to avoid stumbling, Mark chapter 8, we can see practical pursuits so that we can avoid stumbling as we continue pursuing Jesus and his work in our lives today. So, here are the things that we see. First, the disciples were very critical of others. Uh, Mary comes in, it doesn't identify her in this text, but in the other gospels, we know it as Mary. Uh, Magdalene comes in, pours her expensive oil out on Jesus in a wonderful act of worship. But the disciples weren't having it. They weren't happy about it. The text says they criticized her sharply. Now, we know from the other gospel accounts that Judas, for one, wasn't happy about it because he robbed the treasury. He was the, the ministry treasurer, and they would get these donations, and then he would rob it and steal it for himself and so had this oil this alabaster flask been donated judas would have been able to pocket a whole bunch of money Uh, but our text points out that a number of the disciples were upset it wasn't just judas it says a, a they them they were criticizing her sharply so they they criticized her and started giving their analysis of what she as a follower of jesus should have done now jesus just shut that down he says hey stop it leave her alone he said listen she's doing the right thing here and if you desired to give to the poor, you could do that anytime you wanted, it, is what Jesus said. Now, of course, these are the same disciples who had kind of a bad habit, as we've seen, of sending people away hungry and keeping children from coming to Jesus and, and, and things like that. And, and so it's not that they were so busy spending every penny to give to the poor. They had just gotten really great at critiquing what other people were doing. And, you know, you shouldn't have done that. You know, you should have done this, you know. Uh, But that's not what we're called to do as Christians. We are called to action, not criticism. That doesn't mean we have to agree with everyone or everything that people do. It doesn't mean that we don't take a stand on what we believe to be right uh, or what, you know, what kind of method we believe the Lord has called us to. But as Christians, I think in general, the Christians, you know, in this place and time, we spend too much time criticizing others when we could be worshiping the Lord ourselves or reaching out uh, to those who need it ourselves. So we need to remember that what Jesus said, if they're not against us, then they're for us. You know? And Jesus isn't, wasn't in the business of saying, okay, let's look at everybody and, and criticize everything everybody else is doing instead of doing something ourselves. So they, they come to her and they say, you should have given that to the poor. Well, the real question is, what are you giving to the poor, disciples? Like what, That's what you wanted to ask these guys who are complaining about her. Okay, so you have a lot of armchair opinions. Okay, so what are you doing today You know, to worship the Lord, to reach out to the poor, those sorts of things. Second, a stumbling stone for them was thinking more highly of themselves than they ought to have. Jesus there is predicting his betrayal. Peter says, hey man, even if everyone forsakes you, I'm not going to stumble because I'm a better disciple than everybody else here. Effectively, that's what Peter was saying. And then the text says that they all said the same thing. It must have been a fun situation for, for the 12 of them, is where Peter says, Hey, I'm a better disciple than these other deadbeats sitting here. And then everybody else, well, no, I'm a better disciple than all these deadbeats sitting here, you know. And um, they just started ranking themselves above other Christians. They started ranking themselves above other people. They were real confident in their personal discipleship Uh, but they were confident in a discipleship that hadn't been fully tested yet Uh, uh, there had been you know definitely been friction for them there was tension between them and herod you know the ministry of jesus and and herod there there was tension between them and the pharisees them and rome i mean there was tension it wasn't that everything they did was easy but the real test of their faith was coming in the garden of gethsemane and that hadn't happened yet and so they were talking about how strong they were and how ne- they would never forsake and how they were better than all of these other people standing around here. But they were talking from a position of where they had never been tested and where that faith hadn't been tried. Now, this is why Paul encourages us not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. I mean, he says that outright to us. Instead, we should just rely on the Lord and his filling and his directing because we've done nothing. Our awesomeness is non-existent. We have to remember that. You know, it's the Lord's direction. It's the Lord's power. It's the Lord's work in our life. I'm just the vessel by which the Lord does something, and, and the Lord glorifies himself. And so, It has nothing to do with you know, me. It has to do with the power of God and my willingness to be subject to God. And no one is exempt from the potential to err and to fall down in our walk with the Lord. No one is, is there yet. No one is, you know, uh, no one is exempt from those dangers. Third, the guys stumbled by giving into temptation. Jesus goes to pray there in the garden, brings Peter, James, and John with him. And he says, "Guys, you need to pray so that you don't enter into temptation. That's what you need to do, so your faith can be strengthened." Uh, but they gave in into the bodily urge to quit and to sleep, and they did it three times, which is, you know, certainly embarrassing. You know, the text points out, hey, Jesus came back to them, and they didn't even know what to say because they just kept falling asleep. Uh, but when we start giving into temptation, whether it's the urge to sleep when we should be serving or the urge to sin, that's when we're stumbling. That's when we fall down in our discipleship because we're allowing ourselves to be governed by something other than the spirit and his power. Uh, they stumbled because they chose sleep over prayer. They chose the natural over the spiritual, and they didn't fight against that uh, tempting urge. And the same thing can happen to us if we're not careful. Fourth. Peter stumbled when he tried to do something ungodly in the name of Jesus. So Judas and the mob come to the garden uh, you know, to take Jesus. What does Peter do? Runs out with his sword and takes a guy's ear off. Thanks, Peter. Like, great job. That, that had nothing to do with Jesus. Did that have anything to do with Jesus? No. It had nothing to do with Jesus at all. We learn in the other gospels that Jesus had to like pause everything that was happening so that he could fix this guy's ear, the servant of the high priest, would be like, okay, everybody hold up for a second. I've got to do a miracle right here because Peter's hacking people's ears off. You know, it's kind of, it's comical. I mean, it's embarrassing. But we need to understand that stumbling in our discipleship and in following after the Lord isn't always about going out and committing a sin in the sense of lust or anger or doing something like that. Sometimes we stumble when we bolt out and think we're doing something for God that God has never led us to do. you know the Lord never asked Peter to do that. The Lord never you know gave Peter the idea to do that. That was not anything that Jesus wanted Peter to do. And what we do from time to time, if we're not careful is that we decide to tack God's name on our banner and think that no matter what we're doing, it must be good because after all, look at the name on my marquee outside. What I'm doing is good because I, I'm saying I'm doing it in the name of the Lord. But the, the real deal is that if God hasn't led us to minister in a specific way or to go to a specific group of people or whatever it may be, then it's not only going to fall flat because the spirit isn't in it, but it's also going to do damage to people. You see Peter doing this. I mean, Peter's going out and trying to do something in the name of his Lord that he wasn't led to do, that the Lord didn't want him to do. And he did some real damage to this guy. And luckily, you know, the sinless, perfect son of God was there to to heal this guy's ear. But don't be the guy that carries the name of Jesus into a battle you're not supposed to be in. Uh, That's that's not godly. That's a failure. That is a stumbling in our discipleship. Fifth, the guy stumbled by being unprepared. Uh, I see this in the example of the young man there in verses 51 and 52. We believe that young man to be Mark himself, uh, according to most scholars. But he had thrown on this linen cloth, the text says. He didn't have the proper clothes, and when they tried to grab him and take him, arrest him there, it says the cloth came off and he ran away just naked. Uh, now, devotionally, I think it's interesting to think about the way that we sometimes go out into life without putting on the proper spiritual clothing. Because God prescribes armor for our day-to-day Life. He says, hey, when you go out there, this is what you need. You don't need, a, you don't need a linen cloth on, man. You need armor. We're going to talk about the helmet. We're going to talk about your shield. We're going to talk about your breastplate. And we need to put those things on. We need to put on a proper you know, spiritual preparedness for what we face. We need to be ready for the opposition and the task we're facing. I mean, seriously, if you think about this, what, what was Mark going to do like, with a piece of, of fabric on? So he was naked for some reason. I mean, this is a little bit weird, but I mean, if we think through this, so he's naked. He puts a tablecloth on, effectively, uh, and it came off pretty easy. Obviously, it wasn't like it was girded on him. So what was he going to do with this? With, with this kind of, you know, clothing, he wasn't going to serve anybody because he's got to keep his tablecloth closed. He wasn't going to. He wasn't ready to get his hands dirty doing work. You know, he wasn't ready to make a stand with Jesus. I mean, he was just unprepared for the task at hand. Uh, Sixth thing, the guys stumbled because they were unwilling to pay the price of discipleship. And obviously that is the most highlighted, um, you know, area in our text. They were all so quick to judge Mary, another follower of Jesus. They were all so quick to judge each other and say that everyone else is less of a Christian or less of a disciple than they were. They were all so quick to pledge their devotion uh, there at dinner and, and as the Lord is talking to them. But when it was actually going to cost them something to be a disciple, when it was actually time to sacrifice something, they were gone. They were done. Uh, they, they, they were out. Peter's the example. Hey, I'll follow Jesus at a distance. But as soon as it costs me something, as soon as somebody comes to me and says, hey, are you the disciple? I'm done. I'm, I'm out. I'm, I'm, I'm cutting loose of that. Uh, in this chapter... You know, the disciples talked a big game, but their discipleship was all theoretical. They did a lot of saying, and they didn't do a lot of doing. And they stumbled. They were scattered. They had to regroup after the resurrection. And luckily, because God is a God of grace, man, these guys were restored other than Judas. They were all restored and went on to be, you know, incredible servants of the Lord, the apostles. And, you know, we're thankful for that. But look, this doesn't have to happen to us. We don't have to stumble. That's what the New Testament says. Our shepherd is not being struck. Our shepherd is victorious and we are equipped and established by God so that we don't have to stumble, uh, you know, if we choose not to. But the thing to remember as we live this life, especially in the time and the place that we live here, is that, you know, our actions today can either cause us to fall in our relationship with the Lord or our actions can further the work of the gospel. You know, Jesus highlights that up in verse 9 when he talks about Mary's act of worship. He says, you know, what she is doing is furthering the gospel message, and it's going to be a memorial to her throughout all generations. And so discipleship is what we see here. Discipleship isn't being theoretically willing to follow the Lord. Because at verse 72, he, Jesus had no disciples. They, were, they said, hey, we're not disciples anymore. So discipleship isn't being theoretically willing to follow the Lord. It's actually doing it. It's actually following in step with the Lord. Not constantly criticizing other Christians, not giving in to temptation, not thinking more highly of ourselves than we should, not being unprepared, not being unwilling to sacrifice, but following and doing, that's discipleship. Now, that doesn't mean that all of us are going to have to die today for our faith. Probably none of us today are going to be martyred for our faith, and I'm thankful for that. But looking at the examples in our text, maybe the Lord wants you to help the poor today. Maybe the Lord wants you to keep a room ready in your house in case God has need of it in some way. Maybe the Lord just wants you to pray a little or, or worship him. Uh, whatever it is, there are things to be done. Discipleship is taking what we believe about God and, and allowing those things to transform what we say and what we do and how we make decisions. And so our job is to follow. And here's how we do it, Hosea 10:12. Sow for yourselves righteousness and action. Sow for yourselves righteousness, something you actually do. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. All right? So go and sow and break up some fallow ground out there.